time, and um, I doubt I'll live long enough to finish this series uh, on First John that John finally allowed me to, uh, to be able to do. I try not to cheat him out of the things that he wants to preach, and he's got lined up. He finally gave in, and uh, of course, he and his family are away trying to get a little rest, and probably before their kids go to school. Isn't it a rotten thing to you kids? That they take you out a week before as if this is going to help starting the school next week. It's um, School is not an easy thing. And uh, Nate is the most humble one of that crowd. If you've noticed, he don't talk much. And uh, every chance I get when he's sitting alone somewhere, I sit down and talk to him. And I come in Wednesday night and I said, when does school start? And he didn't frown, but you could tell he wasn't excited. <laughs> I think it's this coming Thursday for his family. And uh, so that's what they've done. And uh, and he's, I said, do you like school? Of course, I always ask him. He's homeschooled. I said, do you like your teacher? Oh, he said, yes. yes. <laughs> and I said, you better. And uh, do you like school? He says, not particularly. I said, I didn't either. I know exactly. How. I didn't like school till I went to college because I wanted to go. I had a reason to go in my mind. The first day of school, and I shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to tell it. So if you're a little kid's going to use this as an excuse. Please cover their ears right quick. Right? The first day of school, when I started school, they had just started kindergarten, and I didn't go to kindergarten, thankfully. But the first day of school, I got in trouble. Um, I don't remember what I was doing, but apparently the teacher was not pleased very well with me, and I was the only one that had caused the problem, apparently, and she told me, James, you will be staying after school with me for a few minutes. I thought, well... When the bell rung, they started grabbing whatever they had and going, and I beelined for that door. I went as hard as I could. I got out that door, and Miss Baldry, little lady, came chasing me, and she chased me all the way across the schoolyard and took me down and drug me back into that class. <laughs> That's how much I loved school. And unfortunately, that was her last year teaching there, and that is the truth. I hope it wasn't because of me. But anyhow... I do not understand how any teacher teaches school. I know that's got to be one of the toughest jobs in the world, and certainly, no doubt, is. We've been looking at this book, and may I say and encourage you, don't look at this book negatively. It is a very positive book. John deals with things very sternly. Uh, he, he says things here that you don't find him saying in other books. He actually, on more than one occasion, uh, accuses folks of lying. And we will see that, and we will even look at that maybe again today. But this is one of the most encouraging books, I believe, in the whole New Testament. If you struggle with your salvation as to whether you're genuinely saved, I would encourage you to take time and sit down and read through and listen and get some personal instruction if you need to on understanding this book. It is for that very purpose. Uh, one of its purposes is uh, the last one, and he speaks of it in chapter 5 and verse uh, 13 there, these things I've written that you might know that you have eternal life. Now, I want to tell you that's a very positive thing. 
and and it can help you. Um, and and I want to mention something to you, and, and I should mention this over and over as I go through this book. Where I started out, one of the ways of helping people find assurance of salvation was, did you pray the prayer? Yes. Did you mean it? I was sincere as I could be. Therefore, you're saved. Well, I'll tell you something. John doesn't mention that in this book. That is no mark. This does deal with what I call the birthmarks of the believer, and I think it's a great book, and I would encourage you uh, to continue studying this. Let's go back to verse 8 in chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you can't say amen to that, I don't know what you could ever say. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This way. Our Father, this morning, it is so sweet and wonderful to be able to talk to you and to call you our Father. We thank you as we have that have been saved very long seen your goodness and your kindness and your long-suffering because you love us. And we thank you for that. We pray today that you will, as we look at this passage, speak to our hearts, help us to understand it. That's our desire today, that we understand what the Apostle John, inspired by you, wrote down for the church, not just for the churches in Asia Minor, but for the churches here in North Carolina and all over the world. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us take this letter seriously and help us, Lord, to learn the truth of it, that it might help us and encourage us in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will help me to uh, preach and share clearly and teach clearly today as I can, and Lord, help me not come across in any way as, which, as it would look that this book is not for me. It is very much for me. Lord, I need your grace and your help today. And I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing what you think before you come to the Lord about salvation. I've asked, I guess I've asked hundreds of people through the years, what do you think a person must do to be saved? And I've had all kinds of answers, and most of the time, it's works. Now, it is important, and this book points out that if you are saved, there clearly ought to be works. There's no question about that. 
John mentioned last week that great passage in the book of Ephesians. It may be then or when tonight. I don't remember when it was. But that great passage that says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Salvation is a gift from God. It's not a work. But the purpose in all of that work in God's doing is to bring us to good works. But those good works don't save us. You're saved absolutely by the grace of God, a gift given by faith. For the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. It's not by their works that they're justified in any way. I've had people tell me, when I get to the point that I think I will not be a hypocrite and I can follow through and not sin anymore, I'm going to make my confession. Well, I'm telling you, you'll never make a confession on that. You just can't do it. You'll never be there. People tell me, say, I can't live the Christian life. I said, join the crowd. I'm I'm top with you. If you want to hear where I struggle, we'll sit down and talk. I'll tell you the real deal. It's tough. But that's the reason we are saved. It's because we cannot save ourselves. God has to save us. We're sinners. He's righteous. He's holy. He is the loving, gracious, long-suffering God that will one day, hopefully, reach down and save you and transform your life and make it different than you ever dreamed before. John's purposes have been pointed out as we talk about it. He's the apostle. He's the last living apostle. He's probably in his early 90s as he wrote this letter. Uh, He's the last one alive. All the rest have been martyred. All the other 11 went down. John has been left. And he writes this letter. He writes the book of Revelation, the two letters following this. He wrote the Gospel of John. And we will be looking at that and talking about that passage this morning. Uh, The Apostle John writes because he has heard of a problem that has risen in Asia Minor. There are false teachers that have entered into the churches. And in those churches... They are teaching Gnosticism. And by the way, there have been different shades of it taught right on up to this day. The New Age movement that came along in the late 70s and the early 80s and took a foothold, it was nothing but uh, little strands of Gnosticism is all it was. People who think they have a higher awareness. They've got a new understanding sometimes even they say of the Scriptures. Hey, listen, the Scriptures speak and explain themselves very clearly. We don't need someone's new awareness. It is the Holy Spirit that wrote it, and he's the one that teaches it, and he does it right. And so John knows this, and we see some of the things, and and he deals with this, and that's what this whole letter's about. Some have possibly followed along, and some may even have left with the Gnostics. Chapter 2 said they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would no doubt have remained until now. And it's very clearly those who are saved can hear the word of God and know the word of God and recognize what John, being an overseer of these churches, that seems to be what he's spent a big part of his Christian life doing. He's concerned and he's writing this letter. And he talks about his purposes uh, in verse 4 in chapter 1. He says that you might have fullness of joy. I want to tell you something. The Lord does not want us to have long-faced religion like a mule standing at the fence. He really doesn't. He wants us to enjoy this Christian life. There is a joy in knowing the Lord Jesus. There are troubles, no doubt about it. It may be you, as I've heard so many people say, I didn't have troubles till I got saved. Well, that's true, because you didn't know all the problems you had. And uh, that's true. That's an absolute truth. But listen, I have great joy in spite of my problems. 
I know Jesus Christ and he has saved me and my faith is in him and his works and not mine. Oh, listen, that's a great joy. I don't know if you rejoice over that. I do. Sometimes when I really screw up, I sit back and think, Lord, why in the world would you ever have saved me? Some of the thoughts that run across my mind sometimes, I wonder how in the world did they get there? I suspect you might have that same problem sometimes. But here in this passage of Scripture, he begins to deal with these things and also righteous living over and over and over in these chapters he deals. And the third thing is that assurance of salvation. He wants us to know that we are saved. Now, I like the way he starts chapter 2. My little children. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Brother Larry kind of smiles at me once in a while because he thinks it's a little funny. I call about everybody brother and sister. I've just always done that. I think it's the greatest thing having the family of God. I'm from a big family. There are eight kids. And my mama lived to be 95. I don't know how she did it. I really do not know. But she lived to be 95 years. I, I'm used to a bit. Family's a big deal to me. Always has been a big deal. And when I got saved and found out that the people there, after I got to know them and they know me, they loved me and they cared about me. And I still hear from those people back from 44 years ago where I was saved and served in that church. And I'll tell you, it's a great thing to be a part of the family of God. But John is 90, probably at least years old when he writes these. He has spent a lot of his life probably during these ministries in Asia Minor, he may have led many of these people to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had gotten to know them. He knew their names. He knew their families. And as John writes, this is like a father talking to his children to him. John says, my little children. That's wonderful. Jesus did that. He called his disciples his children a time or two. And it's a great thing. But let me tell you something about children. They're devious. Have you figured that out? When I first got saved, I wish the church, and, and I'm thankful for God saving me through the ministry of that church, but I wish I had had that option and the encouragement of so many things to, that could have helped me. I'd already had my kids or had one and the other one's on the way on knowing how to raise kids. You do some dumb things. I mean, it just seems like you ought to get a trial practice with a with a, a fake person. God ought to give you one and get you through it and try that one. Then come back and get the real ones. But it don't work that way. Scripture tells us the things to do. I mean, the, the worst thing you will ever do, the first time you have to really seriously discipline one of your kids, do not tell them how bad this is going to be on you. Do not tell them you hate it worse than they do. They love to hear that. They will play it. I'm telling you, they are smart I, you cannot believe how smart kids are and what they hear and what they think about it and what they think through it, and they use it. It won't be long. They'll tell you, hey, I can save you the problem here. You know, just, just let's let it go this time, and I won't do it again. I don't, I don't need to be disciplined. But you can't do that. I, I've heard a story years ago, and I've never forgotten this story, and I've laughed many times about it, and it was a true story. Years ago when I was pastoring in, in Maryland, I was going to a missions conference for two weeks in Alabama participating in it. And I was trying to stay awake. I was going to make one stop on the way. and um, But I, I, we didn't have all the little gadgets we have today, phones. like I, We didn't know anything about somebody having a phone in the car. So I listened to the radio. I'd find Christian radio stations, and they were not all the very best, but you'd hear some good things at least. And I would listen to music and preaching and teaching. And I come to this channel where they were talking about rearing children. And I'll never forget, they were talking about this thing of how, how smart little kids are. They know how to play it. The story was told, this kid, he's about four years old. He had a couple siblings. 
And he had come out of the nursery, and it was a large church, about 300 folks. And so on the Sunday night, they brought him into the service, and they started moving him up, and they moved him about halfway up. And they sat him down and told him one of them had a real problem talking and carrying on and getting attention of the kids in the church. And says, now, if you do this tonight, his dad sat down with him and says, I'm telling you, now, you listen to me very carefully. I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to take you to a classroom, and I'm going to spank you. And he got it, and he did pretty good about the first song. About the second song, had to grab him a couple times and turn him back around. He'd already started. And then it come time for the offering. The pastor called the ushers up, and they were about to pray. And the father had had enough, and he grabbed the boy up so he wouldn't disturb. It was a good time to slip out with him during the offering and got him up over his shoulders, and he's going down, and it's about time. And the pastor calls on brother so-and-so and says, pray for our offering. And they said it happened about halfway down the church pews. All of a sudden, everything was quiet, waiting for the prayer, and the little boy said, y'all better pray for me. <laughs> Don't you think kids are not smart? They know what they're doing. John knows that, and he treats us and talks to us in this manner. He understands some of those people have been maybe moved by this, and he understands their deviousness. He's just talked about this in the first chapter, and he talks about those who are claiming they have no sin, and it was no doubt the false teachers and maybe some who had been sucked into it. And this idea of coming in, notice what he says here in verse 1. Uh, excuse me, in chapter 1 in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, that could be misinterpreted. Maybe sin don't matter in the life of the Christian. By the way, that is not a new thought. There have been a lot of folks today that have come across with this and maybe think that way. Uh, John was a shepherd. He loved these churches. And he was writing to them, and he was feeding them, and he was tending them and helping them, and he was probably retrieving some of them from the mouth of the false teachers, and he knew that. John was concerned that some of them might think, hey, John says, as long as we just confess these things, they're fine. Some of them may go to the other direction with that. He says, these things I'm writing to you that you sin not. Notice what he says. My little children, I am writing these things, all this letter, to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. John has just told them this and he's concerned. Listen, Paul was concerned about this. Turn with me to chapter 5 in the book of Romans. I love the book of Romans. I enjoyed so much when John taught us through that book. and He did an outstanding job, uh, I think. And in the book of Romans, in chapter 5, there in this passage, Paul is dealing with this subject matter of sin. And he's actually dealing, to some degree, with the same matter that uh, he's speaking of with the advocacy of Christ. But notice with me, if you will, in verse 20. Verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Thank God. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 1 in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Hey, Paul, listen. 
If sin brings the grace of God overflowing in our lives, why not just go ahead with it, not worry about sin? Oh, actually, I love the King James Version of this as it interprets this passage. Verse 1, God forbid that a Christian would ever think such a thing. And, and John is concerned about this, and he now he begins to deal with this subject matter very sharply and wants them to understand exactly what God means by this as he forgives our sins. And certainly, he, he moves forward in this. Paul's desire and goal was that we become like Christ. In the book of Philippians in chapter 3, great passage of Scripture. I love Paul's writings always. In chapter 3, Paul speaks about his heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there in that great passage in chapter 3 and verse 10, he says this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain unto the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained, this is, uh, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. What a great passage of Scripture. Paul says, listen, the person who has been, been saved, who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, ought to have that desire constantly in his heart that I might live pure and live right and come to be like Christ. Jesus has promised when he comes, he will change us and make us like he is. That's a wonderful day. Ray mentioned this the other week uh, sometime here. of The fact that I look forward to the day when I will sin no more. That is a wonderful day. But listen, God's purpose and plan in salvation is to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. He was sinless. And that's what this passage is all about. He's challenging them, listen, yes, you do have sin, and God has provided for that, but listen, the heart of every believer ought to be on a daily basis. Oh, Lord, I wish I could get to that point of not sinning. And hope and reach for that and try to overcome. A few weeks ago when I preached the last message, I made a statement, and I kind of wish I'd followed up, and I do want to follow up right now for a moment. I made the statement over and over we find in the Scriptures we're challenged to sin no more. Uh, as you look very clearly in the book of, uh, I think it is Matthew, where Jesus says, listen, we're all to become like our Father who is perfect. That is true. The woman that was taken in adultery, remember when they got through and Jesus run the crowd off, you remember what he said to her, go and sin no more. That is the command. And listen, God couldn't give any other command other than that. But it ought to be the heart of every believer, even though we know it's not going to reach, be reached until Christ comes, that we sin no more that we never commit sin. And if we do, he tells us in this passage of Scripture, we certainly have an answer. I love Sean O'Donnell, one of the uh, commentators that I've been reading and studying through this book. He says, sin is inevitable in the life of the believer, but not excusable. And he goes on, even though it's inevitable and not excusable, it's forgivable. Thank God for that. Listen, it is so true. It is inevitable. By the way, in this passage of Scripture, the thing that John says here amazes me. He says, if any man sin, they tell me I have studied Greek, but I'm, I'm no Greek scholar by any means. But the Greek scholars look at that passage and they explain very carefully how this word is translated if it carries the idea that it is going to happen. And it does. We all know that. If you've been saved very long, it didn't take long to figure out you got a problem. It's going to be an ongoing problem. It's going to be a challenge in your life. But it ought to be the heart of every believer that God give me grace and help me get past it. Listen, we have an advocate. His name is Jesus Christ the righteous. I want to tell you something. That's one of the greatest truths to me that I know. 
My hope is Christ for salvation and my hope for living as I ought to live as a believer is on me dealing with Christ and trusting him as he makes intercession. Here in this passage of scripture, listen to what he says. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I love that passage of scripture. He's our lawyer. He's the one that stands between. Uh, as you go back in the book of Job in chapter 6, don't encourage you to do that. I think it's actually chapter 9. There in those verses of scripture, Job has gone through all this problem. His family's died, all but his wife. He's lost everything he owns. And he's sitting in the heap, and here comes his three so-called friends. And man, he later he calls them miserable comforters, and they were. They were sure in their mind. If anything would like this happen to a believer, surely he has been sinning horribly against God. It is possible that that is true. But I want to tell you something. It's not always true. And I think often not true. But here Job goes through and he continues and listens to their, their conversations and he responds back. And then when he gets to chapter 9, he, said, he stands there wishing he could somehow have a discussion with God. He said, God is not a man as we are. And says, we, we cannot talk to him in, 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 in the same way. As you and I are talking. But he said, I wish I had a daysman it is in the book of, in the King James translation. And he says, one that can lay his hand on God and lay his hand on me and somehow I could understand what is going on in my life today. We do. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's our advocate. He's the one that stands between us and the Father. He's the one that paid for our sins. And here in this passage, John says, listen, we have an advocate with the Father concerning our sin. His name is Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is righteous lawyer. The amazing thing about this, he's quite different in so many ways. Number one, he is righteous. And we, the very best in all of our jobs, whether you're a lawyer or a salesman or a carpenter or whatever you are, we are not righteous. We can't do it in perfection. He requires one thing about those that come to him and want his advocacy, as you go ahead and plead guilty. That's pretty much the opposite of what happens in this world. But I'm here to tell you, we're guilty. And listen, he takes no case unless we understand we're guilty. He doesn't take the case that says, Lord, you know what this person made me do. He don't take that. That's confessing other people's sins. We don't, we don't go to the Lord like that. Lord wants us coming to him and saying the same thing. The word confess means to say the same thing. And, and it means what God says about sin is worthy of eternal death. And it is. Sin's a horrible thing. I think we take it so lightly sometimes. I love the book of James. James, my book. Uh, James chapter 1. Oh, it's so beautiful in this passage of Scripture as he deals with this. And um, here he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has uh, stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. He goes on to say, Let no man say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. Well, God cannot tempt with evil, neither... He, uh, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. There's been a, many a message preached, an outline, I've heard it many times, about sin. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. And listen, you'll pay more than you ever dreamed when you follow it. And it is so true. And here in this passage, 
He makes very clear this sin is our sin. And here in this passage, it's, it's very clear as we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we must confess the same thing in saying what he says about sin and fall at his mercy. And here in this passage of Scripture, as I think about this, uh, I, I look, if you will, at the goodness of Christ as he stands for us. Hebrews chapter 7, we've heard this verse, verse 25. John's done a great job in the book of Hebrews lately. Hebrews seven twenty-five. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost Jesus, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Listen, Jesus Christ went to Calvary, and he paid a judgment that you and I will never completely understand. We look to the cross, and it's a horrible sight that is painted there. Some of you have seen some of the gory films, and, and they may be somewhat true. But folks, what you see in the body of Jesus Christ is not what was paid. He was separated from the Father, and there he suffered the eternal damnation for you and I that believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Been on tell you, Jesus paid a great price. But listen, after he resurrected, he returned to the Father, and there he is continuing that work of salvation, if you will. Understood in the scriptures, you're saved immediately when you trust and put your faith in Christ. But God is saving you in the sense that he's changing you and making you more like Christ. And ultimately one day when Jesus Christ returns for his people, he will transform them into a sinlessness. And what a wonderful day that's going to be. This thing that is going on is Jesus Christ is helping us to overcome our sins. He's cleansing us. He's helping us to grow through these things. And what a wonderful truth it is as we think about this. Just think about it. He died to pay for our sins, and now He lives to make intercession to keep us close to the Father. What else more could He give? Oh, it's a great truth here in this passage. Yes, we're going to sin. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a lawyer who can stand there. And listen, when, when we are being accused, whether it's as in Revelation chapter 12 where the accuser Satan accuses us. And by the way, a lot of what he accuses us of is true. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. But also, our own conscience by the work of the Holy Spirit deals with us about our sin. Well, I'll tell you, that can be a tough thing. And as we think about that, we, we, we think about the sorrows that sometimes we even go through. We'll look at David in just a few minutes and think about this. But he, he notice what he says here. This is a tough word. This is one of those words that when I first started reading the Scripture, I just passed over and said hard word. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's a big word. It simply means he will make the payment or he did make the payment that turned away the wrath of God. Some of the scholars say, listen, not only did he do that, but he wiped our slate absolutely clean. That's a great thing. That's a wonderful truth to know that before God, though you fail him very clearly because of your faith in him, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you will go to heaven, and it's a wonderful, wonderful truth. But also, we need to stay in fellowship with him. One of the things he's spoken to us about in this passage of Scripture, in chapter 1, and remember verse 4, one of those reasons he wrote it is that their joy might be full. Jesus said this in the Gospel of John. John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. A believer cannot have the joy of his salvation when he's living in sin. Now you can put on a front, 
You can come in and I say, brother, how are you doing? I'd say, just great. And you may not be doing great because you're not doing right or a sister. And I could do the same thing and make it look like everything's all right. But I know good and well just answering that question can bother me times. Something's not right. We need, we need to deal with it. And here in this passage, we think about this. We have an answer for that to be able to deal with it. And we encouraged and challenged to do so. And I think commanded to, do, to come to the Lord and make these things right. And certainly that is it's a great truth. We need to rid our sin. We need to have the heart and the desire to rid ourselves of our sin. Turn with me, if you will, for one more passage in the book of Psalms. I love the book of Psalms. In Psalm 32... And Psalm 51 are two of the greatest passages for you and I to understand our relationship to the Lord and the problem that sin brings. In chapter 32 in Psalms it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David's talking about the very same thing we are right here now. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. He's not lying about his sin. But when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of the great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I instruct, I will instruct you to teach, um, excuse me, you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you, uh, with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse of the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near you. Oh, listen, here David is speaking of his sins and having to deal with his sins. He hid them for a while. He killed a man to cover them up. And yet, he did not get away with it. God dealt with his heart. We don't know how long that took place, but we know it took place for a while. And in chapter 51... He deals with this subject matter again about sin and the believer. And listen, the problems we have, if we do not confess them and deal with those, have mercy, Psalm 51, on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly uh, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Notice what he says in verse 12. Restore unto me. The joy of your salvation. Oh, listen. It's a wonderful avenue we have here. That though we have been saved and God has saved us and, and forgiven us our sins, when we sin again, we have an opportunity to come to God honestly and openly and confess that we are guilty of sin and that we need the cleansing of God. And for those, oftentimes, 
that served the Lord so faithfully and seemed to do so well, and after a while you begin to see them drifting. It may last a few weeks, a few months, sometimes longer than that. And they drift and sometimes they fall out of church. Maybe someone that's genuinely saved. But I can tell you what's going on. I know. I know the Scriptures. I know in my own heart what happens. That coldness that comes in our hearts is because we are hiding sin oftentimes and we're not confessing. We're not coming to the Lord and getting that cleansing. Oh, we're saved, but I'm here to tell you, you can lose that joy of your salvation that God so wants you to have. Listen, that's what Jesus said to His disciples. He says, these things I've I've said to you, that your joy may be full, and the way they are full are by His plan, and that is to come and confess. He is our lawyer that can win every case, and here's why. Because He paid for every sin. When the Father says, yes, He sinned, Jesus says, yes, but He's mine, and I've paid in full the price for all His sins. And oh, what a wonderful thing that is to get up again from that altar or wherever it is you pray, whether you're driving a car or whatever, and know the cleanliness and know the joy again that you can have still with the Lord, even though you're still not what you ought to be. You're growing in grace and you're still struggling with sin. And I'm here to tell you, and I'm telling you the absolute truth. Now, I doubt there's anyone in this room struggling any more with sin than I do. I am 70 years old, been serving the Lord 44 years. I love the last words in the book of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, out of the mouth of John. That's going to be a wonderful day when it's over and it's past. But until it does, I can have the joy of the Lord by confessing my sins. Let me give you the last part of this in this passage. By the way, John was so upset Wednesday night. He come to me and said, man, I'm jealous. He said, you're going to be able to teach on limited atonement. I said, John, there ain't no way I can teach this passage and teach on limited atonement. I said, you can have it. And I'm glad he can because it's tough. But I want you to notice what he says in this passage of Scripture. This propitiation is not for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Keep in mind, the early church was made up predominantly of Jews. Jews had a hard time understanding how the same thing offered to them could be offered to the Gentiles. Keep that in mind, and that will help you with that. Verse 3, he says, And by this we know that we have come to know him. That's the desire of John. He wants us to know this if we keep his commandments. Now it's evident we don't keep his commandments perfectly. We wouldn't be reading what we just read. I remember... In the King James Version, when I read 1 John chapter 3 and it says, Christians don't sin, I said, man, I'm in trouble. What in the world am I really saved? I, I really did. I struggled. Uh, I had a lot of struggle in the beginning with, with sure salvation. and But in the Greek, it's very clear. And here in this passage, talking about the same thing. You don't practice sin. But listen, if you're born again Christian, you are very concerned about what God is concerned about. If you're not, there is something seriously wrong. I can tell you that. And, and I'm not telling you to be like me, but I'm telling you, in my life, I have gotten to the point every time I'm working, I, I think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a carpenter. And I think about certain things. And as things go on in my family, I, I find myself going right back to these things and God's commandments and the things that He wants in my life. And I'll tell you, these things just, they flood my mind often. And I'm thankful they do with all the other junk that comes across my brain. 
a person who believes that Jesus Christ paid eternal damnation in hell for them and who calls upon him as Lord to be my Savior and make what you did for me and save me. It is very hard to tell me that you're not concerned about the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, chapter 5, he says, God's commandments are not burdensome. You say, well, I, I can't keep them all, but they're not burdensome. They're given for purpose to help us. Sometimes I don't think we think sin is as bad as it really is. I think we forget very easily, well, it's not as bad as what maybe so-and-so does. How foolish that is. I tell you, the commandments of God are good for us. You raise your kids and you put out all these rules that you need just to get them through, and we do have a right to do that. I know they don't understand. I didn't understand when I was growing up. And I know my girls. I love them with all my heart. They didn't understand, and some of them I wish I hadn't made. They were not necessary. But I want to tell you something. When you come to know Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God lives in your heart, and if you're saved, He does, there is no way that you can walk very long without being concerned about the commandments. And by the way, this is, this is one of the things you can know. Not whether you pray to prayer, but in your ongoing life, are you concerned about what God wants for you? That's what he says here. Whosoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, and whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way as he walked. Jesus was constantly praying to the Father. He was concerned about the Father and what the Father wanted and sent him to do. And he always did the will of the Father, he said. And he did. And we can't do that. But I tell you what, we can do our very best as God gives us grace through the Spirit of God. Walk as he did. I can't walk on water. I'm not talking about that. But may God help me as I walk in the days as they get closer. I'm telling you, you don't believe me. I'm, I'm not real concerned about getting old. I'm already there. I, I'm telling you. It scares me every once in a while. I get a little giddy thinking I'm going to get to leave here and go there. And I don't want to be ashamed. And I plead with you today, love the Lord Jesus Christ. Love his word because everything he desires of us is good for us. And he deserves all the glory and the honor and the love that we can give him. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful to know you today. I am. And so ashamed of some of the things I do. And I do earnestly pray today that you will help me. Help us together as the body of Christ here in this little church, Lord, that we will seek to follow you, to love you, to confess our sins and be honest about them. To have the heart of David with a contrite heart broken over what we've done to you. And that we might enjoy the cleansing of all our sin. 
And I thank you, Lord, for what you do for us. And I pray, Lord, you'll bless us as we leave here today that we might honor you 